and grant us faith in all your promises for us and for others too. Amen. Well, during a Sunday morning service in 1966, it was in March, weeks before it was lifted aloft by Bobby Moore at Wembley, the World Cup trophy disappeared from here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster. It was being exhibited in the library, and I'm glad I wasn't the superintendent minister at the time. And those who know the story, uh, Pickles the dog found the World Cup and was praised for locating it and enabling its return. And you can read the full story on our timeline, on our website. It's a fascinating story. But what could have been incredibly embarrassing and a tragedy ended up with rejoicing. Now, probably one of the best-known quotes from the 1966 World Cup final was the commentary in the final seconds of the match when England beat Germany. They think it's all over. Then Jeff Hurst scores, and he continues, the commentator, it is now, it's four. They think it's all over. It is now. Well, a few days before Palm Sunday this year, in, in other words, a full week before Easter, my wife Frances was shopping in Tesco's other supermarkets are available and uh, she passed a lady who'd stopped to look at the shelves and what was on display. Shelves displaying chocolate eggs and bunnies and she turned round and declared to her companion, Easter eggs? I thought Easter was all over. Oh how Christians need to tell the Easter story so people understand what it's all about. They think it's all over. Following the crucifixion of Jesus, his disciples and the women thought that it was all over. Far from everything looking a clear victory, everything was looking like a crushing defeat. And we must remember that we know the end of the story, but they, they didn't. It wasn't so clear at the time. They thought it was all over, but it wasn't. It was confusing on that first Easter morning. It wasn't a perfect story. These were real people with concern, fear, and doubt. The first verse of our reading, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women mentioned at the end of the reading there, had accompanied Jesus in his ministry. They were actually there at the cross. They'd seen him die. They'd seen where he'd been laid in a tomb. And now in the darkness of that early morning of that first Easter Sunday, they'd come to anoint Jesus's body in their grief. And they wanted to do the right thing for him, their beloved friend. And despite Jesus having spoken about his death and resurrection, it may have been that people were expecting something quite different. The resurrection of all the dead, for example, rather than the resurrection of one person. 
In Luke's account, they clearly were not expecting what had happened. And when they arrived, the stone had been rolled away, and what's more, the body of Jesus had gone. And it's worth noting that the empty tomb leaves the women perplexed. In contrast to Peter and the beloved disciple in John's account, the women don't know what to think. Then they have this dazzling surprise. They're confronted by messengers of God, angels. Fearful and grief-stricken, they look to the ground. I found that very powerful in that reading, that they're looking to the ground. They don't know where to look. You know, where is the body? And one of the messengers asks, why do you look for the living among the dead? Then they're presented with the facts and the messengers entrust them with a message too. He is not here. He is risen. In other words, if you want to find your Lord, don't keep looking to the ground, don't look into the empty tomb. You need to look away from it. And then the messengers remind the women, remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The penny begins to drop. They begin to remember. They return to the disciples and try to put all this into words, but it didn't convince them. It sounded like nonsense. The actual word there is like babbling like someone with a fever. (laughs) You know, what are they on? (laughs) What's the matter with them? Only Peter went to see for himself if it might be true in this gospel. And we read, bending over, Peter saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You still, it still wasn't clear. He was still wondering. The last time we saw Peter in Luke's gospel Remember, it was when he denied Jesus three times. He must have felt that it was all over. A failure. How could he ever forgive himself for what he had done? He was a broken man. Imagine Peter's therefore mixture of emotions. Yes, he's not there, but where is he and what's going on? And I I denied him and all that going on inside him. Yes, the tomb was empty, but it would take a while for Peter and the other disciples to fully understand what was going on. The New Testament scholar Tom Wright describes the Luke story as three terrified women, a bunch of frightened and grumpy disciples, and a perplexed Peter. And I think that just about sums it up nicely, really. Nevertheless, it was beginning to dawn on Peter. The women concerned were also beginning to figure something out something amazing had transpired but what had happened that morning wasn't as expected and Jesus's followers believed that he was the Messiah Uh, nobody expected him to die as he did but could it the grief despite the resurrection it was a difficult moment and time Nevertheless, 
The work of redemption had been accomplished on the cross and Jesus had been raised from the dead. And in doing so, he authenticated everything he'd ever done and everything that he'd ever said. Salvation had been made possible on that day of resurrection. In the words of St. Paul, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus had risen from the dead, the greatest moment in history. But in some ways it was just the beginning. The kingdom of God that Jesus had proclaimed and embodied was drawing near. And by God's grace, renewal and recreation had been made possible. The reason Jesus would then spend 40 days traveling with those followers with all their emotions, preparing them for the next stage and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Enabling the birth of the church and the transformation of lives. They thought it was all over, but it wasn't. But in another sense, if we think it's all over, it isn't yet. Let me explain. To listen to some Christians speak, it's as though they believe that the resurrection puts everything right now in the world. But in case you haven't noticed... The world and our lives are not perfect. Evil, suffering, sin and death still abound. Now Jesus has done something about that. And he has enabled people to find forgiveness and new beginnings. But there's all this stuff still going on. In our own lives and in our families' lives as well. The world is still reeling from a pandemic. Also, there is that awful war, most terrible war that's got a grip on the world. And many of us, while celebrating with joy on this Easter day, and I'm sure you are, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who is feeling sadness this morning. Worry about loved ones or the grief of someone you've lost about concern for your relationships or your finances at this difficult time, or your health. Worried about those affected by the war in Ukraine, refugees, and so on. St. Paul said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. The resurrection is more than what we're experiencing at the moment. It gives us a future, an eternal hope. We were never promised as a Christian that life would be easy or that we would always figure out what God is up to in the world. And that's made clear in that story on the first Easter day. But one day, one day everything will become clear from eternity's perspective. And I encourage you today, on this Easter day, when you come to take bread and wine, kneel 
in honesty, or if you've got bad knees like me, stand in honesty and bring everything that's on your heart to the Lord. Despite your joy of Easter, bring the honesty of what's going on. Because that's where we make room for the Holy Spirit to work. When we're honest, when we have faith. Bring your pain, your grief, your confusion, your doubts, your weakness, your need of assurance today. You see, your trials may not be over, but God is at work. He has demonstrated that in the resurrection. I use the analogy, the battle is won, the devil is defeated, but he just won't lie down yet. But eventually, he will. As Frederick Buchner, the American Presbyterian minister once said, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Let me say that again. The resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Hold on to that. That's what Easter faith is all about. They thought it was all over, but it wasn't. We think it's all over, but it isn't. They think it's all over, but ultimately it will be. And that's my final point. You see, one day, sin and death will be all over. Hallelujah. To quote St. Paul, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I can raise a hallelujah to that. That one day, one day, ultimately, There will be justice. One day, everything will be right. One day, the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. There will be a new creation made possible because of the resurrection. The English still talk about the 1966 World Cup. It was an incredible achievement. And we live in hope that victory will one day be repeated. Christians cannot help talking about the resurrection. It was a glorious triumph with eternal consequences and it doesn't need to be repeated. The spiritual battle is conclusive. It's whether we allow ourselves to be caught up in that battle, to die and rise with Christ daily, to work for his kingdom, to play our part in enabling his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Our former neighbor in Loughton, Adrian Warnock, uh, talks about the resurrection changing everything. Uh, He wrote an excellent book called Raised with Christ. He writes these words. It changed the cross from a tragedy into a triumph. It changed the Roman Empire into a Christian state. This was the most powerful divine event in the history of creation and it ushered in a new age of the Holy Spirit's activity and power in saving and transforming lives. Will we, 
let the truth of the power of this day change us? Will we let the truth and the power of this day change us? Because that's what God intended it to do. It's not over for us. We have work to do. But ultimately, we're on the winning side. And so may the joy of that truth inspire and sustain us when we face difficulty. For the message of Easter is that Jesus is risen. The truth of Easter is victory over sin and death. The gift of Easter is new beginnings and new life. And the hope of Easter is ultimate justice and peaceful and a joyful recreation. Easter eggs, the lady said. I thought Easter was all over. Well, if you think it's all over, think again. Amen. Let us sing, Low in the grave he lay. <laughs>